0: You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew five fourteen through 16. Lord God, we believe that you have us here for a reason, that no one came to this space and no one came to this time and is supposed to leave the same, that we came here because you brought us here and you have something that you have to speak to us today. So Lord God, would you just open our ears to hear from you? Would you open my mouth to, to just speak words that don't come from me but come directly from you and speak directly to your people? who you love and who you cherish and who you desire to walk alongside. So, Lord, would you use this time to speak to each one of us, and would you open us up to receive what you have for us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, we're actually in the fourth week of a sermon series, but if this is your first time here, don't worry. You will not be lost, (laughs) so uh, you'll be fine. But we're in a sermon series called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, And this week, uh, because there's no screen for you to see, I feel like I need to tell you the title. The title is called Motives Matter. So it's The Art of Neighboring, and it has this, this concept that as we read in Scripture, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? This is in Matthew 22. And then in verses 36 through 40, These are Jesus' words. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then Jesus goes on and he says, And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Maybe this story will sound familiar to you. So you're sitting at home, and you hear your phone ring, and it's about 6 o'clock. You've just sat down for dinner, and the phone's ringing, and and you don't recognize the caller ID that comes up, but you know that you're expecting a call, and and maybe you don't know the number, so you pick it up, and immediately you realize you've made a mistake. (laughs) Who's on the phone? Any guesses? A telemarketer, yes. They call it right at 6 o'clock, don't they? Because they think you're home eating and they want to interrupt your dinner. Uh, so you answer it and you realize you've made a mistake and they start immediately into the sales pitch. And the sales pitch continues and it continues and it continues. And you can't get away from this call very easily. And, and quickly it continues more and more and you realize that you have once again fallen victim to the high-pressure sales technique of the telemarketer, Now if any of you are in telemarketing, I don't mean to insult you, especially not on Sunday morning, or, if, or even if you're in sales, whatever, you do you. It, it's good. Companies need to exist uh, and they often exist because of sales. So congratulations, you have a, you have a great uh, career, but the problem becomes and, and I see this quite a bit, the problem becomes is that what we sound like when we try to share our faith with other people? And I've noticed this a lot in the church, as the church as a whole. As Christians, we, we are passionate about our faith. We should be, we're passionate about sharing that with other people, but do we sound like the telemarketer? And I say sometimes yes and sometimes no. Sometimes if there's a relationship there, if we've built a relationship with a person, we can just sound like a friend who's just sharing something that they love, sharing something that they're passionate about. I have some friends that really love to play golf, and I guarantee you when I talk to them, they will talk about golf. Why? Because they love it. And then I know some people who have this heart, and they really just love Jesus in such a way that I guarantee you, even to me as, a, as, as their pastor, when they talk to me, they will bring up Jesus. Jesus will be in the conversation, not, not as a sales pitch, but out of love, out of them just saying who they are, how God has wired them, what God is doing in their lives. There's, there's a genuineness there. So the point here is that motives, they matter. And they matter a great deal. So this whole series, The Art of... Of neighboring, We're looking at this passage of Jesus, and he, and he says to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the question that, that I keep posing, and it keeps coming back to me, and, and it keeps uh, affecting my own life, and I, I keep trying to throw it out there to you all, is what if, when Jesus told us to love our neighbors, not only were we supposed to hear that and make a theological point, And we were supposed to make a theological point and say, well, who's my neighbor? My neighbor's everyone. I'm supposed to love the whole world. What if Jesus actually meant that you should love your neighbors? The actual people that live near you. I know it's a busy weekend. And some of you had loud neighbors last night. But what if Jesus is calling you to actually love people? Now, that sounds strange because it kind of sounds like he obviously is. But then when we look at how most of us live the Christian life, I I don't know if we can really, I don't know if our neighbors would know if we're church-going Christian people just by how we neighbor. Is there enough of a difference in how you interact with them versus how other people interact that they would be able to say, I know that person is a follower of Jesus Christ. Not, not because they tell me all the time, but just how they love me. And, and again, this is one of those sermon series that they always say that if you're not preaching to yourself at some point, then, then you're doing it wrong. And I shared this story a few weeks ago, but uh, where my last church was, it was in central Illinois. And we lived in that, in that town just shy of five years And it was about three and a half years in before I met one of my neighbors for the first time. And actually, I met them before, but I didn't know it. See, because they had gone to my church where I was the pastor, right? They had gone to my church for months, but I didn't know that they lived across the street from my house. And they didn't know it was me either because I was just a normal neighbor. In the town, I was just the average neighbor. I kept to myself. We had a fenced in backyard. We spent most of our time back there, not in the front yard. Uh, the houses were kind of kitty corner to each other. And all I knew was that they mowed their front yard every once in a while, and I mowed my front yard every once in a while. And we would wave, but I'm wearing normal clothes, mowing the yard. And they didn't realize that the person kitty corner to them was the pastor at the church they had been attending for four months. And even worse, I didn't realize that my neighbors had been going to my church for four months. And again, the story gets gets even worse because they had a son who's in my son's grade at school. So not only did they, there was like a built-in playmate that was right there that they could have been friends with this whole time, but it took years for us to even know. And I just had the feeling from, from most of you that that, sadly so, but that kind of makes sense. Right? That's kind of that's how we function out in the world. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people that's really social, and you talk to your neighbors, and you're all best friends, and I say congratulations. You, you've already made multiple steps towards loving your neighbors. This is great. But I think most of us, if we're honest, we, we look at Scripture like this, and it's a lot easier in our heads to think... Um, How do I love everyone? What does it mean to love the whole world? What does it mean to love those who are downtrodden? What does it mean to to sacrifice on behalf of someone else? And we cease thinking about the people that are actually near us. So that's kind of the core of this entire series. So now we're to the point where your motives matter. Read for you earlier, Matthew 5. Verses fourteen through sixteen. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you put people neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. So it would give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Part of me wants to pause Jesus there and say, no, Jesus, you are the light of the world. You you are the one. You're the one that, that we're supposed to lit, kind of go out into the world and affect everything. But why, why are you putting this on us? If I, if I was totally honest, and when I look at the book of Acts and I see... That Jesus leaves and he sends his Holy Spirit and he says it gives him power, but then he kind of, uh, he's not there. He leaves it up to the church, he leaves it up to people, he leaves it up to us. I probably wouldn't have done it that way. You ever really thought about that? If, if, if you were God, would you trust people to reach others with the, good, with the best news ever? It's like, Jesus, have you met people? This is a, this is a terrible idea. Now, he gives them the Holy Spirit, and that was a wonderful idea. That was a great idea, because we need it desperately. But we can't even love our neighbors well. And you want us to send the church out to make a difference. But if we look back through history, I don't know, we're in California right now, that's not too bad. That's not that close to where they started, Right? So the church has been doing it, but then I feel like in our own lives, sometimes we get to the point where, when, when's the last time you told someone you loved Jesus and you weren't sure that they did too? It's really easy in some, you know, some Bible study, some prayer study, to, to be the, the Christian person that you know you are inside. But well, what does that look like with your neighbors? What does it look like to love them in such a way that your light is shining that the light of christ is shining before them and that they see you and they see how you behave and they see how you treat them and and like this passage says they glorify your father in heaven that's that seems pretty radical that seems pretty extreme that seems like like it must be more than just saying good morning and and maybe even knowing their names, but probably not. You recognize them. You know you know the truck that they drive up from. You you know that they might you might know where they live, uh, full time, and then they're up here part time, or you know something like that. But but do they feel the light of Christ in your interactions? And again, I don't say this to make you feel guilty. So if your response inside is a response of guilt, then don't listen to that response. This is a word of hope. This is a word of hope from from our Lord and Savior that he says, you are the light of the world. Not not look at yesterday and, and were you the light yesterday. No, go forward. You are the light of the world right now, today, in your neighborhood. I believe that churches were placed in a neighborhood for a reason. And I believe that people are put in their houses for a reason. You might think that you picked it out. You might think you picked out that neighborhood and you you chose it because it has that nice spare bathroom and that would be really nice when you have gas. But I guarantee you, Jesus had another reason. And it probably has to do with relationships. And it probably has to do with other people he has placed around you. When we talk about motives, uh, we often hear this phrase of an ulterior motive, right? So what's an ulterior motive? It's, it's a motive that is kept secret. And I think it's where a lot of us get hung up when we start talking about uh, loving our neighbors. We start talking about t- telling other people who Jesus is. We, we don't want to be those people that, that just start having a relationship and have ulterior motives, or, or maybe we're really fine with that, and that's also uh, disturbing. But, but we want to be those people that love well, and we, want, we don't want to have this hidden agenda because people see right through it. It's like the telemarketer call. Right? They're not just call they, they might ask you in the beginning, how are you doing today? But, but that's just to get to the next question because they're always trying to close the sale, right? And, and sometimes, I think even with our neighbors, we're trying to close the sale, and we, and we think it's urgent, and we think, right now, I need them to know that who Jesus is, right now. I don't need the relationship. That's great. That's for other people. I, I just need to, to always be closing, I always be closing the sale on the people. And it's see-through, and it's obvious, and it hurts our witness. So I, I would venture to say, I would, I'd kind of separate this. I think you can have what I'm going to call an ultimate motive and have your ultimate motive be different than having an ulterior motive. So again, an ulterior motive is hidden. It's something inside. It's something that uh, you kind of keep your true intentions uh, away from someone else. And you enter into conversations. You enter into relationships, just because you want to tell them who Jesus is. But having an ultimate motive, that just means that there's more going on. No one would ever say, let's say you went back to school and you decided you're going to go to med school and you're going to be a doctor someday. If you go to med school and you're studying and you're doing all your classes and you say, my ultimate goal is to be a doctor, no one's going to say, that's terrible. Your ultimate goal should be in med school. You're in med school right now. How dare you have a further goal? Of course we have this goal, right? Of course we have this plan, Going forward, it's only natural. So as we enter into relationships with people, it is okay to have your ultimate goal be that they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they know who he is, that they, that they cherish him, that they know that they are loved, that they know that, that he has died for them. But that's not an excuse for anything to be sneaky or anything to be manipulative. Last couple weeks ago, I I talked about throwing a block party in your block. What would it look like if you just invited people into your own driveway and said, I'm going to bring the barbecue grill out to the front and set up some chairs, and we're just going to get to know each other as neighbors and make up little flyers and hand them out. And if somebody looks at the flyer and says, why are you doing this? And you say, I don't know, just, just thought I'd like to get to know you. And you don't mention the sermon series at church. You might have ulterior motives. But if they say, why are you doing this? And you say, well, my my church is going through this thing, and I'm really excited about it, and it just got me thinking, and I thought, I don't know my neighbors well, and and I just want to. Now you have an ultimate mode. Now you've entered into a conversation instead of um, kind of being sneaky about it. The end result matters greatly, but the motives of how you get there, these also matter. And the reason they matter is because it shows your heart. It shows if other people are a project or if other people are are something that you're passionate about, something that you're you're caring about. So I'm going to skip ahead here. So let's talk practically for a second here. Maybe I'll just ask not raise your hand if you don't want to. But I'm going to ask, how many of you have ever sat down with someone else, another human being, and actually shared your faith in Jesus Christ with them? That's pretty good. I don't, I, I mean, Jesus did a good job handing it off to the church then, right? <laughs> That's good. And if you couldn't raise your hand, the question isn't, uh, Again, should you feel guilty about that? That's not why I'm, I'm trying to motivate you. Look, other people have done this. This this is a thing. We can do it. We can't do it if we just rely on ourselves. Well, you can, but it'll be bad. I mean, you could. You could go next door and just say, "Hey, uh, Jesus loves you." By the way, what's your name? <laughs> I mean, it's just not, not going to, probably, I mean, Holy Spirit can do whatever the Holy Spirit wants. But, but it's probably not going to make the kind of life change uh, decision for faith that, that we all dream about. So again, very practically speaking, here's how it works. You go to someone else that you don't know that well. And you just start sharing things in your life. Like I said, people who are passionate about golf. Anyone ever met anyone passionate about golf? Yeah, they talk about it, don't they? Anyone ever met anyone passionate about their children or grandchildren? Does it come up in conversation? All the time. They love, I know so many stories about grandkids. And I love it. Because you all love it. Has anyone met anyone passionate about Jesus Christ? Some. Some but as much as their grandkids? Does it come up? Does it come up in conversation? So the question becomes, I think, twofold. Why is it not coming up? That's a question for you to ask yourself in your own devotion time. Is there something going on in my own faith walk of why this isn't coming up when I talk to people? Why this isn't a key part of who I am? And the second part is, if if it's because we're tentative or because we're scared, or because we just don't feel trained, then what does it look like for that to be different in two years, in six months, in one month? What does it look like for that to be a different answer than it is right now? Because we're called to do this. We're called to love people. We're called to reach out to people. We're called to to let our light shine before others and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I saw this quote the other day that said that the greatest threat to the church in America isn't anything outside the church in America. He said the greatest threat to the church in America is people who profess the name of Christ, who who are Christians, they are uh, transformed, but, but they don't live it out at all in their everyday lives. That no one around them who isn't maybe even in their, their Christian circle, that no one around them even knows. So, so the church gathers, not, not just here, all over America, the church gathers, and then does it gather and then make a difference? Or does it just gather and it, and it focuses on itself, and it, and it builds up itself, and we, and we learn and we become deeper with Christ? But, but does that do anything come Sunday afternoon? If you think about it, shouldn't every Sunday afternoon look different than Saturday afternoon? If we really are coming to church and we're really being built up and we're really being motivated to live out our lives following Christ, then then shouldn't every single Sunday afternoon look different? I think it's probably what we're being called to do. And yet last or a couple weeks ago Sunday afternoon we had church and and we do all the stuff here and it's great and by the time I got home it was about noon and my neighbor's standing in the driveway and I thought oh no I need to talk to the neighbor too <laughs> right have you ever done that you go to church you get you get all built up and you're like that was my social time and now I go home, and I'm like, I, I could go for a-, a nice nap, or maybe I'm going to barbecue outside. And, and then the neighbor's there, and you're like, okay. Yeah, I get it, Jesus. I see what you're doing here. All right, I'll talk to the neighbor. And, then, and I did. You can all be proud of me. I did talk to the neighbor. And it was a great conversation, and we, and we built on things. But again, you, you kind of learn. You learn each other through these little times. These little interactions. If any of you have dogs and you walk your dogs around your neighborhood, you know how many people you come across. All the dog owners know each other. If you're not a dog owner, you're missing out because all the dog owners—they all know each other. They might know their names, but they know the dog. The other person, they know. They know Nugget, and they know—I uh, don't know—Pistachio. I don't know what another dog name is. I'm trying to name little dogs. Here's, here's how it kind of works, if, you, if you're a real tangible person, and, and if you want to take notes at all, here's the part. Step number one, you meet with people, you, you get to know them, and you talk about things that you see. You ever thought about that? That's how conversations normally start. You stand in the driveway, weather's pretty nice today, pollen's falling from the trees, How's allergies going for you? You talk about what you can see. You talk about, oh, they're getting a kayak on top of their car. You know, that can come into the conversation. There's, there's just different things. This is step number one. Step number two, you, you kind of move on from that. You move on from the animals and the houses, and, and you talk about kind of the basics of, of personal information. How long have you lived up here? This is where places like kids and grandkids uh, come in, come into the picture, you know, what do you do for a living or what did you do for a living? Uh, how did you guys meet each other? You know, these conversations, if you're not at that level yet with your neighbors, that's your challenge for Sunday afternoon. At least, I don't know, find out where they used to live or where they will live come Tuesday uh, when they return home. Number three, and this really does happen as you continue doing this, people start to open up to you. They start to tell you about their dreams and their desires. I've had complete strangers in the first conversation that we've gone from one and we've gone to two and then we're already at three and they're telling me about things that they hoped for in their life that, that didn't turn out. They're telling them about uh, maybe a small thing, maybe it was a vacation they planned on and, and because of this last year they weren't able to do it. And and I've had other times where people have told me an entire career path that they dreamed of, that it just didn't work out. And these are becoming more and more tender moments as we connect with others. And finally, if you continue into this, if you continue leaning into this, and again, some people, they're just those kind of people. This is conversation number one. And some people, this is year number 10 but if you continue going on with with the ultimate motive of showing Jesus Christ and shining your light, they will start to tell you about their regrets. They will start to tell you about their losses. They will start to tell you about pain in their own lives, about sickness, about illness, about hurt, about what other people that they love are going through. And as you can come alongside them in these moments with, with love and, and, and in tangible ways and, and even just a reassuring statements that you will be praying for them or that you will be lifting them up, they will be becoming your neighbors. They will have gone from a stranger that lives near you to your actual neighbor. And now the mission becomes: love them as you love yourself. Pray for them as you would pray for yourself. I I don't generally like the treat others the way you want to be treated statement, only because, I mean, it it can be good on the surface, but I don't know how you want to be treated. You know, maybe, maybe you're a super social person. I don't want to treat myself that way, <laughs> you know. Maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're. Uh, you want to connect with others in a different way, but learn who they are. If anyone's been in a relationship with anyone else for any length of time, you realize you're a different person than them. And we realize that very quickly with spouses. We realize that very quickly with children. But love your neighbors. Not not because a pastor is standing up front and telling you to. But Jesus told you to. As his disciple, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? And his answer was pretty short, but very profound. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments.